Okay, I pressed record, and it's go- oh, it's doing two. Wait, what? It's doing two. Okay, the top one is you, and the, the second one's me. Okay, great. Thanks for listening to the Roman Circus Podcast, a weekly dive into death-defying discussions of Catholic culture, tradition, and history. I'm Matt Baker, and with me, as always, facts do care about his feelings specifically, Zach Mabry. Zach, how are you, my friend? I'm, I'm good. I'm doing good today. That's a, it's a wonderful day. Tweet us at Roman Circus Pod. I'm at Hey, It's Matt Baker. Zach is at Zach Mabry, Z-A-C Mabry. You can find us, uh, you can email us, podcast at romancircusblog.com. Find us on iTunes, or you can rate and review us if you so choose. We're also on Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever podcasts are. Find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash romancircuspod. Oh, man. Zach, I am currently sitting in Dallas. I'm sitting across the table from you. Uh, it's weird because we don't have thousands of miles in the computer separating us, so if we mess up... We're held accountable by the other person. Yeah, if we make eye contact, I'm going to start laughing. So yeah. you can't look over here. We're, we're, we're specifically this. looking at, you're looking at the ceiling. I'm looking at the floor. Other than that, everything is completely normal. Uh, you know what? I think everyone wants to hear what's in the news. You got any lovely news for us? You know, I've been been staying somewhat away from the news okay. so i've missed some stories but right i thought it'd be worth checking in on our friends the democratic party wait um, wait zach i'm gonna i'm just gonna up our listener count by a million really quick you ready for this let's hear it the don't you mean the dumbo crats oh <laughs> but dumbo is an elephant i know uh wait is the elephant the republicans yeah the Republicans. I'm just covering all our bases yeah, just to get we're, us we're out. Yeah. more listeners. All so, right, the Democrats, what's going on with the, the fellas and the ladies? So, you know, I, I try to just sit back and watch all this stuff happen. There's mm-hmm. not a lot going on with the, with the Republicans, you know, because they're going to just run Trump. Sure. Um, the Democrats are trying to get their candidate for the 2020 election. Um, a lot of them are running, even... That person you mentioned, who I've never heard of, um, which the, one? The give everybody, oh thousand dollars. Yang, Yang Gang, Andrew Yang, hashtag Yang Gang twenty twenty. Let's do this. Rise up. Right. Uh huh. That was the he protect he pro- he attack he give a thousand dollars back. Yeah. His, yeah. The thing about Andrew Yang is his website actually goes into his positions on a ton of policies. So while a bunch of the candidates' websites are just like, hey, can you give me money, please? He he lists, like, it's absurd, like 50 things he has an opinion on, and he keeps adding to them. Wow. It was funny because, like, back during the Trump campaign, he had all these position papers on his website because people would be asking questions about it. And I remember being like, you guys, he has an immigration policy paper. And then he had a whole paper about how Mexico was going to pay for the wall. Oh, really? doesn't seemed to be happening but he had a specific plan for how that was going to happen sure he put a paper on a website it counts for something right i mean i don't know that he knew they were up there but you know they were there <laughs> someone um, put them up there so anyway the democrats want to take back the white house in 2020 or at least that's what they're saying 
Uh, their first big decision I saw is that they're not going to air any of their primary debates on Fox News. Sure. If you, why uh, go on the the highest rated news network? Well, yeah, why go on the news network where you have the the biggest chance to get people who didn't vote for you last time? Right. Yeah. You didn't. You wouldn't want to do that. I mean, and these people with Fox News, there's people that that literally sit in front of the TV and watch Fox News constantly. Sure. Like whoever's idea it was to not go on Fox is is kidding themselves. Like who what new voters are you going to pick up on MSNBC or CNN? I mean, do your debates on there. But like, isn't the idea to win the eventually win the general election? Probably not. But, you know. Well, right. I mean, most campaigns are just money raising efforts. Like campaign consultants and pollsters have, you know, kids they need to put through college, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, and so they fundraise. Yeah, um, you can't really determine the outcome of the election every time, and so they're they're generally graded on fundraising uh, results. Wait, are you saying that our beloved Andrew Yang is only in this to sell books and raise money, Zach? I mean, I I can't speak. I, I can't speak for specific candidates mm-hmm. because we would have to register as a uh, as one of those organizations that's ah, yes. allowed to do that. A super PAC, right? I don't know. But um, no, the decision to not go on Fox News just seems. I mean, it really just seems dumb. I mean, there's so many people that never turn off Fox News. So if any of you guys happen to be listening, do your debates on Fox News. Do some of them. I know it's. Like or they, not. I mean, I don't care what you do. Right. They just assume that it, they're, it's just all the people that watch Fox News are like Trump homers that just want the wall. And maybe it is, but you never know. You you miss 100% of the shots that you do not take. Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott, Roman Circus podcast. Yes. And... I mean, realistically, you have kind of the phenomenon of the the people who voted for Obama both times and then voted for Trump. Mm-hmm. And my guess is those people watch Fox News. Oh, so, sure. Because um, the, the demographics there and the you know the parts of the country that this applies to seems like your bread and butter Fox News people. Um, so, plus, plus, uh, I don't think Trump and Bernie are as far off as they like to, you know, make themselves out to be on certain issues. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, trade. Mm-hmm. Look at trade. Um, I mean, Bernie used to be closer to Trump on immigration back in the day. Sure. Um, but, yeah. No, I mean, obviously, there's a huge difference between the two. But there's a lot of issues that are sort of off the menu for most candidates that Trump and Bernie have, you know, talked about. Right. Uh, did you see that Donna Brazil is now a contributor to Fox News? Yes. Donna Brazil, famous for, in 2016, being part of that, I don't know if you can call it a scandal, or maybe it's just a thing, the relaying questions to Hillary and the the candidates before the debate. Yes. I, I remember watching the video where she gets questioned on this, mm-hmm. and she just totally stonewalls and is like, these allegations are only known because our emails were hacked by Russia. <laughs> and... I mean, she just wouldn't didn't even flinch. Yeah. Well, I like that it was just such a huge thing, and the right made such a big deal out of it. And now they're just like, "Hey, do you need do you need a job? Why don't you come work for us?" I mean, none of the other Democrats want to go on Fox News. I guess we have to hand it to, uh, you know, Donna Brazil to to go on. She uh, to me doesn't seem like their top brass, but. 
Just a reminder, we are always available to appear on Fox News. I just wanted to put that out there. Sure. Even Fox Business, if, if that's all you got. Sure, but only Cavuto. Yeah, I don't want to go on. Uh, what's the other guy's name? I don't know. Uh, oh, I'm forgetting his name. Yeah. I, mean, I don't like Uh Whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then the last thing that I noticed about the our the beloved Democrats of of America, mm-hmm. um, may they live forever. Yes, of course. <laughs> is that uh, so? Beto O'Rourke, he's the uh, unsuccessful Senate candidate from Texas, right? Is running for president, and on his first day, he raised more money than Bernie Sanders. Yeah. And uh, all the other candidates, because Bernie was in the lead until then. You can get a lot of money for playing Tony Hawk 2 online these days, Zach. I think that's how he did it. I know. I mean, again, listen to Liz Brunig on this one. Like, read what she has to say about Beto O'Rourke. I mean, again, I'm kind of a non-voter. I don't really care about these things that much. But this guy is not going to be the winner that people think he is. Right. Um, or maybe he will be. I'm just. You know. I'm going. I'm, I'm. I'm going out there. I'm. Yeah. You know, in, in two years or however long this election takes, y'all can call me and see if my prediction was right. But right. Well, I don't think he's going places. You'll be on that Twitter account, freezing cold takes, where they just judge up former takes that were wrong by people. Yeah, I mean, look at every Republican campaign consultant from 2015 on. They were just certain that they had to do anything possible to get Trump off their ticket and then he ended up being their most popular candidate in you know since like Lincoln Reagan Reagan yeah Lincoln sure (laughs) Dwight you know um but yeah so that's that's the thing with politics but the other last thing is guys don't give your money to political campaigns Mm -hmm. that's ridiculous I mean basically it's one of the craziest things because um, especially now that they're all taking the small donations, you've got like people who don't have a ton of money that are throwing five, ten, you know, a hundred bucks, whatever, to these campaign consultants who make you know three quarters of a million dollars a year, mm-hmm. some crazy amount. It's it's like upward wealth redistribution, um, and it it does nothing. I all, mean, all you're doing is giving someone five hundred dollars who's going to turn around and offer it as a bribe to usc to get their child into college (laughs) yeah or it's going to be used to pay like sexual harassment settlements i Uh mean seriously or just don't give your money to these campaigns um i mean vote if you must but and you know speak out but again um i mean let let 2016 be a reminder that you basically you know, I've been saying it's hard to investigate the Trump campaign because there wasn't a Trump campaign. It was right. literally Trump and like eight staff and his Twitter account flying around giving random speeches for 18 mm-hmm. months. Sure. And it would be like trying to investigate a pickup basketball game to actually investigate <laughs> the Trump campaign because there just wasn't a, like a campaign implies some kind of organization. Yeah, there wasn't. I mean, he would just fly around and give stadium speeches. Yeah, um, it's the goal. Right. I mean, at the very end, I'm, I'm pretty sure when Kellyanne Conway came in, she like looked at his schedule and was like, why on earth are we giving speeches in Alabama? Like we've we've won Alabama. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, you know, uh, moved it all around. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't and, and he spent a lot less money. I don't have the numbers in front of me. But again, stop giving money to political campaigns. Keep that money. Um, one thing you can do with it is you can browse to Patreon dot com slash Roman Circus pod. Wow. We will put your money to very good use. 
won't amazing, we? Amazing, amazing. Yeah, we will. That's a great plug, uh, Zach. You know, you say you should stay away from giving your money to political campaigns. You know what else you should stay away from? What else? Heresies. Uh, oh, yeah. We did part one last week. Uh, there are still more heresies. So we're going to do a second part this week. Yes. Um, a note that we got on last week is that when I was talking about Arianism, I mentioned St. Nicholas and then mm-hmm. never followed up on what he did. Oh, yeah. So St. Nicholas is famous because at the Council of Nicaea, he punched Arius after Arius gave this you know, awful, blasphemous speech about how Jesus was not God and how the, the son was not God. Right. Um, and St. Nicholas was having none of it and just knocked him out. Mm-hmm. That's um, why he's a great man. Yeah. Well, and then, so the story goes that he's, after this, uh, thrown in prison. Mm-hmm. And the two symbols of him being a bishop, his gospel and his mitre, are taken from him. And uh, our Lord and Our Lady appear in heaven and give him back to him. And so Boom. they find him in his cell with uh, his gospel and his mitre. And they realize the miracles happen, so they let him out. Amazing. Um, yes. So, anyway, that's what I forgot to tell you guys last week. Um so now you know. Was that was that question brought to you by the Helmex? No, I thought came to us from from a uh, friend of the show and and beloved listener Maddie. Oh, Maddie said that. Yeah. Okay. The Helmex were they gave us the last two intros for the podcast. So uh, just wanted to give credit where credit is due. So true. So yeah, this this episode we have a batch of heresies um, that are are more about you know morals faith kind of the last set were all christological heresies they were heresies mm. about christ um, right. his nature etc cetera, etc cetera. these are different um what's interesting is that um you know i guess we can say this was the holy spirit the the heresies about christ himself were pretty much all smashed and are gone you don't have a lot of i mean there's some examples in the east of people that hold the weird stuff but in general mm-hmm. you don't have a lot of uh Nestorians right. running around. You don't have a lot of Arians running around. Um, the ones we're talking about today are ones that kind of resurface in different different forms uh, throughout history. Um, but it, it is interesting that you know once the heresies about Christ Himself were smashed, um, they they pretty much stayed in remission. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. So let's get to the first one here. The first one of the day is. All well, right. the first one, it's its an iconic uh, heresy, Matt. Mm, I see what you did there. Yeah, and it's called iconoclasm. Right. Um, so That works out a lot better than you saying the first one. It's a, cla- it's a clasm heresy. That would have been awkward. Yeah. Yes, that would have been awkward. Um, <laughs> thankfully, I didn't do that. Uh, no. So this pops up in the 7th and 8th centuries. Okay, um, mm-hmm. and it was led by a group known as the Iconoclasts, which literally means icon smashers. Nice. Yes, not nice actually. Um, right. So the the central tenet of iconoclasm was that it was a sin to make pictures and statues of Christ and the saints. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're running around smashing icons because they think it's all the above. just because they think they're basically false gods like the picture of the picture of a saint is or the picture of christ is actually a false god because you're worshiping the picture 
or well, praying. Yeah, there's the that, picture. or that there's a you know a graven image, as it's kind mm-hmm. of talked about in scripture. It's mm-hmm. uh, you know, lots lots going on here, um, right? And the interesting thing though is that you know, uh, God Himself chose to take on human nature and you know be be a picture you know be something that people can look at and see so you know that's that's a pretty big image and you have you know the um shroud of turin right where his you know his face shows up on it mhm yeah it uh i think obviously we we do not use these items as to worship the actual statue right but i think they're it's basically because we are a dumb, sinful people that need constant reminders of what is actually good and holy, right? Yeah. And, he, and we, and okay, can you go? Well, you'll see people that you know they'll they'll have a, a picture of maybe their parents that they they kiss before they go to bed, or mm-hmm. you know something like that. You know, they're not. Um, it's not the picture that they care about. It's it's what what's depicted. You know, their parents. Um, right. And so. You know that's the important thing about venerating images is that it's it, it's what's contained in the image. What it's, what's being depicted is what you're um, you're looking at here. Sure. Yeah. You're not. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's kind of a I don't know. It's an over oversensitive thing. I get. I guess I get why people do it. They, you know, there's things. There's the story. Obviously, the Ten Commandments were. Moses goes up and he comes back down and everyone's forgotten about him and it's like a giant cesspool, right? So you want to try and stay away from things like that, but at the same time, they're just pictures, man. Right. Um, and what's interesting is to so this actually was rampant in the East. Okay. Which is, is interesting because, you know, when you think about Eastern churches, whether we're talking about Eastern Catholic churches or Eastern Orthodox churches, you you often think about the icons and oh yeah, there's know, a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Right, um, but it was there that you know they just started smashing everything. Okay, I mean, yeah, yeah. maybe that maybe that makes sense though. And it's interesting because this is around around the time um, that Islam pops up, and um, you know there there is. Uh, in, I, I'm not sure if it's in all strands of Islam, but the the belief that you know basically all pictures are idols, mm-hmm. um, and so there was some uh, iconoclasm related to that. Like Christians in Syria, you know, were, were pressured by Syrian Muslims to, you know, smash their pictures because they were viewed as um, being a sin to create. So, mm-hmm. you know, and then you had people that they're. Uh, their tastes were offended, so they wanted to smash everything. I mean, you, you you see that kind of stuff all the time. But basically, it comes down to, um, to that. So it becomes this big fight, and because it was rampant in the east, it opens up the wounds between Rome and Constant Constantinople, um, because you know Pope Gregory is trying to tell the uh, the patriarch of Constantinople to cut it out and quit smashing holy images. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess, I mean, they, if they think they're doing it for a holy purpose and someone's telling you to stop doing it, then that's where the rift could come, right? Right. Oof. I don't, so like, finally, it. I don't like this dissension. Right. Well, and so just to get rid of it, Gregory the Third held a synod um, at St. Peter's Basilica and mm-hmm. declared 
that all persons who broke, defiled, or took images of Christ, of his mother, the apostles, or other saints were declared excommunicated. So, did he also have entertainment of kids break dancing at the synod too? Probably not. Okay. Probably not. <laughs> I'm going to guess not. All right. Unfortunately. Un- uh, unfortunately. Can you even call it a valid synod without without that stuff? <laughs> but so yeah, the nice thing here, the the hammer gets brought down. Um they're all declared excommunicated if they if they keep doing it. Um and you know, all is well, mostly. But they, this actually continues to just be a whole another fight. Yeah, I even, I mean, I, it still, it's not as pervasive today, I would say, but there is still different Protestant churches or other churches that think that, right? Other faiths. Because I, I got into a conversation with a guy once who, uh, I think, I don't know if he was like non-denominational or whatever he was, but he, he was telling me how he's like, yeah, if you have pictures of, jesus up in your home you need to take him down like i was going through and telling my mom to get rid of all these pictures because it's worshiping a false idol and it's like uh no they're just like pictures just like you have of your family and he 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 kind of understood that but it just shows that these things are still these even though the heresy is smashed they're still around today right yeah well i think you can see it in lots of attitudes um you can see it in people who think that it's it's um, superfluous or unnecessary to have beautiful ornate churches that have statuary and you know paintings and and you know holy images that you know ah okay I see what you said they see this as like yeah I mean they see this as a waste of money or an effort or that you know there's better use of our time or we don't need those things um, so I mean I think there's still this kind of iconoclasm mindset that mm-hmm. you know it springs up and that's that's the thing with the history of iconoclasm is that it does just you know pop back up um again and again especially in these early centuries um before it, it finally kind of slows down but yeah we see this um we see this happening they're smashing the images and i think the sad thing is just like you want to know you know what were, what do these look like like it, it, it's sad that we don't have we don't have all these images like in churches or, you know, less, less good, but museums, um, they're, they're just gone. Well, you know, one day we'll, one day we'll get back to having all the good stuff, Zach. Yes. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. But yeah, I mean, there's basically isolated incidences of iconoclasm will pop up throughout time and they they that that will continue to happen um throughout history so this was not if you think about the christological heresies you don't really have people that nope i've decided that he's you know two persons or you know Mm -hmm. nope he's got just one will um with iconoclasm it's like people keep finding new ways to justify um smashing statues and icons and holy images and making the churches ugly (laughs) <laughs> right okay yeah it's uh it's it's gonna be there yeah we'll, they wouldn't we'll like the song it, zach uh, they wouldn't like the song deck the halls would they oh no how could you not like that song well if you're iconoclast you're not decking anything yeah i guess holy images yeah that's true uh okay so let's let's go to the next three we're going to talk about or that was kind of a standalone, but the next three are kind of the 
the ones that deal with the the faith, right? Like the yeah, I always think of these three to me as being... well. They all sorry, they all attack the faith, but you know, right? Yeah, faith and morals. I always mm. think of these three as being related, and not. I mean, they they're totally different, but being related in that they're temptations that still exist today. Okay, and that people can fall into one or the others of these by becoming you know, too lenient on this or too extreme on that or too literal here. I mean, it it's like a balancing act to avoid falling into these. And these are Gnosticism, uh, Pelagianism, and Jansenism. Are okay. The three. Right. Are, are, is, there a, uh, is there a preferred one you want to start with or should we just jump right into Gnosticism? Yeah, let's do Gnosticism. It's wild. All right. Yeah, these guys, the, this this idea is, is wild indeed. So, it is the belief that the material world is created by the works of a lower god trapping the divine spark within the human body it's it's uh it would you it seems very when i was looking over it it seems like super spiritual well yeah so one thing that underlines all of Gnosticism is it's basically, you could summarize it as the doctrine of salvation by knowledge. That's where mm-hmm. it, what Gnosis means. Okay. Um, or uh, Gnostikos, which would be good at uh, good at knowing. And it basically, it's it just says that this is like the predominant thought here. Whereas, you know, in true Christianity, the belief is that the soul attains its proper end by obedience of mind and will to the supreme power um gnosticism it's all about the soul and possession of this knowledge and it's mysterious and of the universe and it's sort of given you know just to them so the gnostics were like the people who knew okay um, and it made them kind of a superior class of beings because they knew this special stuff okay well that makes sense. and those sense. special so... things are wild like what you've said so far yeah, so some of the core teachings are all matter is evil and the non-material spirit realm is good. There is an unknowable God who gave rise to many lesser beings, lesser spirit beings called aeons. The creator of the material universe is not the supreme God, but an inferior spirit. Gnosticism does not deal with sin. Only ignorance would make sense because if it's all about knowing, then not knowing is a sin in and of itself, right? That would be the biggest sin. Uh, to achieve salvation, one needs knowledge. Yeah, that's a... Uh, I mean, they're un, I guess it's, you're not saved by the more you know, but it always does help to know things. But, like, you, you have a a good shot of being saved if you don't learn a single thing your entire life but anyway so i guess the reason i think it seems spiritual is because the first one i read that matter is evil and only the non-material spirit realm is good mm-hmm. it it it's okay so you i mean it's what are we talking about here are we talking about like the idea of buddhism or are we talking about like the just certain things among that realm because i don't i'm not i'm not going to claim that buddhists are gnostics i don't know enough to say that but that's what it seems to me like it like a very detached like a very detached god who just kind of sits there and there are a bunch of other things that happen and then you can attain attain enlightenment basically yeah you can kind of see um you can kind of see some ideas in there but 
that's that's the thing with narcissism is it's mm-hmm. um in a sense it's fluid and it it does take different forms in different times and it lasts just forever and it's it's one i i personally think is still very common just not not this particular set of tenets but this salvation through knowledge you know i i know the super secret stuff that no one mm-hmm. else knows i'm super smart so i'm going to heaven i that stuff is i think you see a lot of it uh, in the 20th century with the Nouvelle th- uh, theology, but then you still see it all over the place. Um, but yeah, Do you think so it, you, it comes with a knowledge of self too, or they tend to not like the material. So would they? But would they put a would they put a high price on knowing the self? I don't think so because I think they were very ascetic. Okay, they were generally very ascetic. Gotcha. Um, and so, like the problem here with a few things. So with you know saying that. Everything created is evil. Matter is evil. Um, well, that's kind of a problem because you know Christ uh, ha- had a human nature, and so he was his his person. He was made up of matter, mm-hmm. um, and so well, well even nothing... more so that God God created everything. So God created a bunch of evil, bad stuff. Well, we're, right. I mean Genesis one thirty one. You know God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Mm-hmm. So you you see that this begins to contradict Scripture. But that's where, you know, there's these mind tricks of, well, but if you were really smart, you would know that, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, and and it, like lots of things, when you start with some kind of false premise, um, things just continue to spiral in, into error. So at one point, the Gnostics, um, at this point, we're talking about that God created matter, which is what's in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um they decided that this means that the Old Testament God is actually this evil Jewish God um, who is distinct from the New Testament God of Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, and so, you know, I, and to a certain degree, you know, I hate to say it, but you, you see a little bit of, of that where people think that the Old Testament God is this mean, different, evil Jewish God. They may not use that term, but um, right, they act like Old Testament God was, you know, different than New Testament God, but it, right. it was they, the same... It's a go-to joke, basically, too. Like, uh, like, or when you're talking about wrath, like you always hear the wrath of the Old Testament God as opposed to whatever they think the New Testament God is. Yeah, and so, sure. you know, when you if you want to call people out because people generally want to be respectful, you can say, "Oh, okay, this is the evil Jewish God you're referring to," and they'll probably <laughs> shut up because they won't want to have you know been saying that because that would be right. very offensive. Yeah, um, but the Gnostics were all about it. Um, one thing that's funny, I will say that I, until I was Catholic, I don't know where I heard this or why nobody ever corrected me because I'm certain that this isn't what Methodists teach, but I thought that God became a Trinity. Like that, that was part of the plan to defeat evil is that God like morphs into a Trinity, you know, like for extra the, power. Yeah. Like the Power Ranger Megazord or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I totally, I, I don't know when I, uh, I, I don't know when I came up with that idea, but it it uh, it quickly went away once it was explained to me that that from all you know all eternity God was a Trinity. But yeah, I thought God like morphs into a super Trinity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, when it's yeah, really so, when it's really time for battle. Yeah, basically. So I was I was a heretic, but about a great many many things. Only a, only a material heretic. Yes, only a material heretic. Um, yeah. Okay, so Gnosticism. So again, the core there, though, that I want to point to is this salvation by knowledge, this super smart people mm-hmm. go to heaven only. Um, 
and they get their knowledge who knows how um, yeah that's what that was actually going to be my next question is it just what like knowledge via schooling or like street smarts or just any knowledge because i guess they there would have to be some sort of restrictions well, in place of, on of what knowledge spiritual is divine things mm-hmm. yeah but even then that's just so open-ended like you can start to claim that what you have is very actually spiritual knowledge as opposed to what they have over there right i mean it's you know it develops and and grows then you know you've got your leaders of the movement and you know like the the way the thoughts kind of get handed down mm-hmm. okay okay so gnosticism um it it part of the reason that it dies out formally is the same reason any heresy dies out is that um it can't transmit itself generation by generation um you see that with protestantism this is probably controversial but ultimately there's not any point within protestantism where you could look at a protestant uh denomination at one point and then a hundred years later and and show that they were the same and sometimes they're just vastly different by sure the end of that hundred year period especially the 20th century mm-hmm. um but so a lot of times, you know, because our faith is tradition and tradition is protected by the Holy Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit ensures that the true faith is passed from one generation to the next. Um, heresies don't get that guaranteed passage. So they can be passed through. Um, basically, it's just up to the individuals involved. So usually um, everything gets, you know, the, the game of telephone and all just gets totally lost in translation. Whereas Absolutely. because of the Holy Spirit, the true Catholic faith will always be passed from generation to generation mm-hmm. in its entirety. Great. So the next one that pops up in the fifth century is Pelagianism. All right. Pelagianism. Yes. So Pelagianism denies original sin that we inherit mm-hmm. that from, from Adam in the garden. And it says that we become sinful because of the bad example of the sinful community into which we are born. So, so it, it, Basically, we just take on the the view, like what the example of other people. Yes. Okay. And th- that that's how we become righteous is that we um, basically through instruction and imitation in, in the Christian community, um, following the example of Christ. Yes. I mean, he's not totally cutting him out, but you know, Pelagius basically says that man is born morally neutral and you know can achieve heaven under his own powers by. Um, you know, making good choices, being a good person, following example, um, and things like that. And so what this does is it basically says that grace isn't necessary, that through your own power you can make yourself holy enough and get to heaven by being a good person. Okay. Uh, it, yeah, it's interesting because Pelagius taught that the human will, as created with its abilities by God, was sufficient to live a sinless life although he believed that God's grace assisted every good work. It, to me, it, it's like, he, I, I don't know. It just seems, it seems kind of conflicted to me. Like it, it, you have the human will was able to live a sinless life, but it, I don't, it, without, but you, but you still don't need divine aid, but God's grace assisted with every good work. It, it seems it seems like there's a lot going on. Right. I mean, 
and and that's the thing. It's kind of this is sort of salvation by grit, I guess I would say. You had Gnosticism was salvation by knowledge, and this one is salvation by grit. Like you, you mm-hmm. do it yourself without grace. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, since we're recording this during Lent, I think it's a good thing to point out that Lent is a great demonstration. So. Um, throughout the centuries, generally the fasting requirements for Lent were very strict. You fasted every day except Sunday. I think in some centuries you even fasted Sunday. Um, and what the fast did was it made you weaker. Right. And that was on purpose because it, you know, it becomes a demonstration that it's not through our own strength that we attain salvation or become sanctified. It's, it's through God's grace. Absolutely. And so in our weakness, we have his strength. Mm-hmm. So everybody starves, and it works out. They become holy. They become, you know, knowledgeable. It's it's excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So, 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 okay, sorry about that. I was going to ask about free will, but continue. Well, I think um, I was going to point out that, you know, after Pelagianism itself is condemned, um, basically a watered-down version called semi-Pelagianism pops up. <laughs> and right. it's a good demonstration that, that people, it's like they're always looking for the line. You know, it's like they can't embrace the spirit of the teaching. They have to embrace, you know, how close can I get? How 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 Pelagian can I be uh, before I'm, I'm actually embracing Pelagianism? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this one basically says that they humans can reach out to God under their own power um, and that God will give them the state of grace. So that's a little bit, you know, closer to the truth. But then without any further grace, you can stay in the state of grace for the rest of your life. Right. Um, and that, again, you can earn through natural, like if I'm a really good person, God's going to send me grace at some point. Whereas that isn't how we understand the concept of merit at all. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, again, this is like salvation by grit or will. Um, what were you wanting to say about free will? Well, it just, it, so they, he, Pelagius, he didn't believe in original sin, right? So he didn't believe in, like, the sin of Adam and Eve having an, a lasting effect on humanity. But he said that basically that, the, well, the lasting effect would be that Adam condemned mankind through his bad example, which is interesting because Adam was not, that bad example did not go unpunished, right? So certainly, like, it's only kind of meeting it halfway. Like, certainly if you, if humanity sees the fall of Adam and Eve, they see that bad example. But then the idea is that they would just see that that is something they can do and continue to do it. But what the other side is, Adam and Eve were punished, so they would see that punishment, and you would think that that would work itself all out, kind of. And that, that's kind of my thought on the downfall of Pelagianism, right? And also, the other thing that it it kind of has an effect on the redemption and on the crucifixion again, because Pelagius basically just thought that the redemption was instruction and example. So there wasn't there wasn't actually and assuming human form for the purpose of redeeming every aspect of it. It was just the assuming of humanity just to be a nice, pleasant example. Right. Which well, Christ was, obviously, but also there was more to it. Right. But that that's kind of the thing. Like you're saying, just like you would see Adam as the bad example, 
that means that you know Christ is the good example, and that's mm-hmm. that's all he is in this in Pelagianism. And again, I think that's a really common um, belief, especially since the 20th century, that oh, you know, you had you had Jesus of Nazareth, and he was really nice, and he taught us to be really nice, um, mm-hmm. and we follow his example. It's like, well, he was actually God, and he died for us, and we follow his example because he's God. Mm-hmm. Um, you right. Know, I mean, there's more to it than that. But again, it, it, it's not so much he was a good example and Adam was a bad example because you're almost setting up good and evil as independent of, of God. Sure. It's just purely example based and purely our own, what we see and what we do. Right. Which, yeah, I don't, I, yeah, it's, I don't know if that is a ultimate free will or if it's just actually like a false free will, but I mean, I would definitely say it's a f- false understanding of free will. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess because our understanding of free will means that, you know, is that it has to be aided by grace. Um, you know, this is one that I think you can still see happening in various forms um, of people. I mean, well, any of this, like, be a good person, and that's all you have to do. I mean, that's sure. religion. Um, right. But then you see people that, you know, they, they're trying to live a moral life, follow the teachings of the church but so much of it they're relying on their own grunt work like they're they're very reliant on you know personally battling all their sins and that which isn't bad by any means right but they're they're not making themselves reliant on grace and they're not understanding that god will defeat their sins and they they have to let him work which you know that can be difficult but that it's not going to be them that do it. Like our our priests have complained about people that you know they they've acknowledged that they've committed a sin, um, and they need to amend their lives. But then they go about and amend their entire life without going to confession. And then finally they go to confession with like a report card of everything that they did to you know make reparation for the sin and yada yada yada. Mm-hmm. And the priests are like you know the act of contrition it, it involves the firm intention to reform your life and do all these things. You don't, you don't wait, you you don't fix your whole life. And then at the end, you know, go to confession, you know, once you're, once you're able to, you know, in, in all, in all honesty, pray the act of contrition, you know, you, you are sorry for your sin. You're firmly resolved, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Then you go to confession. Um, not after you've, you know, spent 10 years in therapy and, um, you know, sold all your possessions and yeah, and whatever you want to do. Mm hmm. Yeah. So yeah, go to confession. Okay, <laughs> right. I was going to say, is that just a that this podcast is brought to you by confession? Absolutely, the sacrament of penance mm-hmm. available near you. <laughs> it's back. It's back. Uh, yeah, okay. So Pelagianism and the watered down semi Pelagianism both get thrown out because again they, they don't jive with the understanding of of grace. So, so yeah, got rid of them. Hey, if you're not going to jive with the understanding of grace, I have no time for you. No time. You can take several seats. <laughs> That's a, oh man. Third, Jansenism. Yes. So Jansen was a French bishop, which again, all of us are like, Ugh. no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Francis had many holy bishops. Uh, mm-hmm. He wrote a paper about St. Augustine, and he, he redefined the doctrine of grace. Um, 
what he says is that, you know, instead of saying that Christ died for all men, he says Christ only died for those who actually end up being saved, the elect. Um, oh, no, we don't like we don't like this at all, Zach. Well, right. I mean, this really does start to look like Calvinism, right? Yeah, sure. Limited atonement and, and whatnot. Yeah, um, well, there's basically, yeah, there's nothing we can do. Our fate is already determined and uh, which, again, would immediately cuts to the core of the act of creation but anyway continue right well and you know what do you think the uh the practical result of this heresy was uh like what what did it lead people to yeah why would why would they care about anything if they if their fate was already determined they could just go around and it's all if it's predestined if it's predestined Sort of. So it is true about this, why care about anything. Basically, they became disobedient. They wouldn't listen to the Pope. What do they need a Pope for? It's all already been decided. Absolutely. Um, so that was the th- Jansenism sparked a ton of political controversies. And it, it the way that it played out was like the more interesting component of it. The beliefs themselves are pretty, um, you know, just unpleasant unappealing you wouldn't really see a lot of people that would uh would want it um <laughs> yeah but the, the other thing is that they were known for being hyper moralists and i don't exactly know why that is yeah that but, why would you that that's super well, is, they me. were so they were so consumed with human depravity and i think that's what sort of sprang them to be hyper uh moral was that they just thought humans were depraved and and Mm -hmm. filthy and and gross Um, of course they are right um and actually the uh the jesuits did a good job fighting these guys back right yeah they were the they were the main they were the main fighters on this front right um and it, it was in a sense it was sort of a a reaction to Pelagianism because they were saying, okay, Pelagianism overstated man's role in his own salvation. Mm-hmm. And Jansenism um, understates man. Basically, it says man has no power. No role, no power whatsoever. N- yet. Right. Um, and this is, is still alive in Protestantism. Um, I've, I've seen these types of statements be made. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, not, not by yeah, all of them. No, no, no. I've just I've seen it thrown out there. Yeah, no, not not all of them, obviously. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. And then again, you have the extreme moral rigorism, um, and that's where you hear Jansenism today. It's often thrown out in that sense, like people are being Jansenists. It's like they're being um, excessive in moral rigorism, right? Over, so he, over the top. Okay, so Jansen he. He insisted on sola fide, right? Justification by faith, which again is weird to me. That I don't what like what you just have to have faith that you're one of the chosen, or you you just have to have well, faith. not even. I mean, not even really that. I mean, he's basically just saying it's sort of a denial of man's participation, being mm-hmm. the exercise of his free will in his salvation uh, and the consequences that follow. So basically, you know, man gets left out. The man, uh, they're they're out of the loop of their salvation. 
Um, and so then you've got people that are, you know, damned for all eternity and there's nothing they can do about it. And then people who are, you know, going to heaven and they there's nothing they can do about it. Um, and it's got, <laughs> you know, a bit of that, uh, you know, a, eternal security, which we don't really, we definitely don't do as, as Catholics. And we, we kind of believe our, we have hope for our salvation, but that's as far as we take it. Sure. Yeah, it it's okay. Yeah, this would spring straight into Calvinism. Basically, that's what it seems like to me. Right, and so their enemies were the Jesuits, mm-hmm. um, and so the the Jesuits, you know, fought them, and that's always helpful. Um, there were five presi- uh, propositions that were attributed to Jansen, and whether or not they were actually his, he's dead by this point. Um, Here's kind of what they are. The By first 2019, one. surely he's dead anyway. Yeah, 1649. Um, okay. So the first one is, some of God's commandments are impossible for just men who wish and strive to obey them, considering the powers they possess. The grace by which these precepts may become possible is also wanting. Wait, wait, sorry. I'm. This is for the benefit of me. Can you repeat that? Of course. So the first one, some of God's commandments are impossible for just men who wish and strive to obey them considering the powers they possess the grace by which these precepts may become possible is also wanting so some of them are impossible the acts of god are impossible for us to understand basically well they're the commandments are impossible for us to follow by striving to follow them they're impossible for us to follow by striving to follow them okay like we, we can't do it at all even with grace like we just we can't live a sinless life right okay um, two, uh, in the state of fallen nature, no one ever resists interior grace. So that's saying we do have a fallen nature as man, but, um, the people who are given grace, they, they never resist it. They can't. Yeah. It's because it, we have no, again, that makes sense in his line of thinking because we have no, we can't, we have no measure to save or unsave ourselves. So if we're given it, then we will obviously accept it because there's no other choice. Right. Okay. Um, So then three, to merit or demerit in the state of fallen nature, we must be free from all external constraint, but not from internal necessity. Okay. Four, the semi-Pelagians admitted the necessity of interior provenient grace for all acts, even for the beginning of faith, but they fell into heresy in holding that grace is such that man may either follow or resist it. Um, so that's kind of interesting because that's one thing that the Pelagians, the semi-Pelagians would have gotten correct. Grace is something that we either follow or resist. We, mm-hmm. we can resist grace. Right. But but Jansen is saying, sorry, we cannot. So he, he took the one thing that the semi-Pelagians got correct and said, actually, they did not get it correct. Right. Okay. And, you know, that's a common thing that you see. Often the reaction to a heresy is to go too far to the other side and right. commit the the opposing heresy. Yeah. And the fifth one, this one is the biggest. Okay, here you go. You ready for this? Oh, I'm ready. To say that Christ died for all men is semi-Pelagianism. Wow. I know. So that's wild. Um, so, you know, attaching their view of limited atonement to, you know, literally you know, another hair. I mean, it's, it's just, yeah. So he's, he's, he's not only stating a heresy, he's stating a truth as attached to another heresy. Yeah, basically. 
Wow. Okay. Yes. And so, I mean, interestingly, this is just a wildly con- not again the beliefs themselves. Yes, false, crazy, all the above. Um, but this this one was just unique in the number of controversies that that went from it and how high it went with the the clergy and the the state and you know the French royal family. All, all sorts of things become a mess. Um, and so they're basically other than a couple small secret groups, they were all gone by the uh, mid 18th century and uh, it died in Italy by the uh, by the 19th century man that's so there a... is one sect left who's that it's in there's one in Holland oh um, really they, I mean, it, it's not it, it bears little resemblance to the original movement but sure. they do claim to be Jansenist okay yeah I mean I guess if you have such a if you just think that everything is terrible and you human person is depraved then i guess logically you would get to only god knows what he's doing and only god has a plan that doesn't involve anything else Mm -hmm. well and that's that's where you know the three that we we just the the three we just talked about um gnosticism pelagianism and jansenism i think are are easy for people to fall into sort of versions of that Mm -hmm. um a lot you'll you'll see people that think oh well i have this special knowledge the special interpretation um you know it it's different it's not necessarily what the what the popes are teaching or you have to read the popes and the saints um you know through a special lens that only i have you you, you kind of see this you know i'm super smart guy theologian or mm-hmm. or just you know people at churches sure um you know, with Pelagianism, you see the kind of everything becomes on the natural level, you know, striving by your own strength to become a good person, follow the good examples and not the bad examples, um, or, you know, not not turning to the sacraments for strength, but just trying everything you can on the natural level to eradicate your sins. Um and then the last one is kind of Jansenism, where you, you look at the whole world as sort of disgusting, and um, humans are depraved, and some people are just damned from the moment they're born. And you may not be literally saying those things, but you just kind of look at the rest of the world as, as filth. Oh, yeah, um, true. And that's that's where I think that you can just see yourself kind of wobbling between these three as you grow in the faith it, at different times. Or I think these are common attitudes that are present. Um in people hopefully not for for not much longer zach not much longer yes the the super secret knowledge people um they just pop up in all different corners the illuminati sure the catholic illuminati mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all right well i like it should we uh yeah should we close our conclusion this? oh i was gonna okay you conclude you conclude it Oh, just the topic. Then you can do Saint of the Week. I was going to just say, in conclusion, yeah. don't be a heretic. <laughs> okay, good. That's all. Matt, I yield the floor. Oh. Sir, my time. My time, sir. My time. <laughs> reclaiming uh, my time. I'm reclaiming my time. Saint Benedict of Nursia. You seen this guy? Oh, yes. He is, his feast day is March 21st. He's the patron of 
cavers of Europe, of gallstones, of dying people, of kidney disease, of inflammatory diseases, of school children and students, of servants who have broken their master's belongings, of spelunkers, <laughs> of temptations, of agricultural workers. He is a patron against poison and against witchcraft. And nice. Of, of farmers, fever, civil engineers, a whole bunch of stuff. I He's, let's see here. You might know him as the metal guy, the Benedictine metal. I'll, I'll yes. get, get to that in a second. He founded 12 communities for monks in Italy, about 40 miles east of Rome, before moving to Monte Cassino in the mountains of southern Italy. The Order of St. Benedict is of later origin and not necessarily an order as much as it is just a group of autonomous congregations. His main achievement is his Rule of St. Benedict containing precepts for his monks and... uh, yeah, he as a result, his rule became one of the most influential religious rules in Western Christendom, and he is often called the founder of Western Christian, Christian monasticism. You can still buy the rule of St. Benedict. Uh, Baronius Press sells a hardback copy. Yeah, it's been used by the Benedictines for 16 centuries. It kind of outlines the Benedictine life. Oh man, there's a just some of them it describes the four types of monks it describes the necessary qualifications for an abbot ordains the calling of the brothers to counsel upon all affairs of importance to the community recommends moderation in the use of speech it yeah it there's a whole bunch of things it's it's, it's it seems pretty intense are it, podcasts exempt from that rule that's actually an addendum that's chapter 48 it's the podcast chapter. Perfect. Yeah, we're 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 covered. Uh, the Saint Benedict Medal. Uh, there sometimes they're on scapulars. If you, it's a, the it's the medal that has a cross and it has a ton of letters surrounding it. Yeah, it's a circle. It's a circle, and it it's a basically it's like a. It's a good way to keep the demons away. That's that's how I always think about it. It's a devotional medal, and some of the some of the things that are written on the medal are the the sorry the letters correspond to certain phrases like "May the Holy Cross be my light," "Let not the dragon be my overlord," "The cross of the Holy Father Benedict," "Be gone, Satan! Do not suggest to me thy vanities." And evil are the things thou profess, drink thou thy own poison. Ah. Which is which is pretty awesome. That's uh so yeah, the Saint Benedict medal's pretty common and and we uh I don't know if a lot of us including yeah, myself also... know what it is. Or knew what it what it stood for. Yeah, there's there's also the Saint uh the Saint Benedict's crucifix, which is basically the Benedict medal, um combined with a crucifix and so that's what i wear and i it's pretty helpful it comes with lots of uh it's, it's a sacramental so there's a lot of um graces that come with it sometimes on the metal there's 
there can be a picture of a raven and what happened was he the there were some bad monks that were trying to poison him and they first tried to poison his drink and he prayed a blessing over the cup and the cup shattered then they tried to poison him with poison bread and when he prayed a blessing over the bread a raven swept in and took the bread away so if you ever see it with wow. the see him with the raven that's why but there there's saint benedict for you love the guy <laughs> he's one of your favorite guys all right zach good work anything else before the end of this week nope i think that's it 